be the church, be courageous church. And in this culture, in this world in which we live in, that is a word we need to hear. And so we look at the, the early church in the book of Acts, and we see how they were courageous, how God gave them the courage that they needed. And we're going to come to a passage of Scripture today in Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at here in just a few minutes. Come at it from a little bit different angle than what I've ever preached before. And we think about, as you look at this passage of Scripture, uh, how you see here how the, the, our enemy, the devil, has some tricks up his sleeve that he tries to cause the church to be irrelevant. He wants the church to be, uh, the witness to be diminished. And so we need to be alert. And the church needs to be alert. I think was uh, reading through some, th uh, some things this week and came across the story about a church uh, in Texas some years ago that decided to split. Uh, each faction filled, filed a lawsuit to claim the church property. And a judge finally referred the matter to the higher authorities in their particular denomination. A church court assembled to hear both sides of the case and they awarded the church property to one of those factions. The losers withdrew, and they formed another church in the area. But during the hearing, the church courts learned that the conflict had all begun at a church dinner when a certain man received a smaller slice of ham than a child seated next to him. Sadly, it was reported in the newspaper for everybody to read. So you can only imagine how the people of that area laughed at and scoffed at about that situation, which when it came to light, it brought great discredit not only to the church and to the church at large, but also to Jesus Christ. Beloved, as a church in this culture, in this world, we live in a day where the world loves to point its fingers at the church and say things like, the church is irrelevant. Or the church is just full of hypocrites. That'll get your attention today. <laughs> and so they are, or they will say, so they're just, they think they're better than us, but they're no better than we are. But here's the thing, friends, is the truth is the church has always been imperfect. And the church is still Imperfect. Can I get a witness? And you know why it's imperfect? Because it's made up of imperfect people. But just because it's imperfect, it does not give us license to sin. So we strive to be what Jesus has called to be. And so what called us to be. For we must first be alert that the devil loves to take our imperfections and to do damage to the kingdom of Jesus. So we need to know that our enemy desires for the church's relevance and importance to be diminished. And he would also prefer that the church just sit down and be quiet. Or if he can't get us to do that, then he wants our witness to be as ineffective in the world as possible. And why do you think our enemy, the devil, wants that for the church? Well, here's why. It's because the church is the means that God has chosen to advance the gospel and to fulfill the mission. And so we need to understand that we are to be alert of the devil's schemes. So we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and realize the schemes of our enemy that's in the churches, but also see how a gospel-centered church, a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, that obeys the Lord Jesus Christ, is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, who proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ, how that gospel-centered church, how it handles 
those schemes of the enemy as it is advanced toward us. So we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And if you're able and honor reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage for us this morning. The Bible says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole con- uh, gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you and praise you for our opportunity to break open the word of God together. And Lord, we pray that you would speak through it to us, and may we be open and receptive to what we need to hear and understand. As we hear the rain falling on this building, we are reminded that you are the source of all of our blessings and that you nourish us just as you nourish the earth with this rain. And as we hear the thunder clouds clapping, we are reminded that, Lord, you are more powerful than anything in this world, that you are great and mighty and you own it all. And so, Lord, I pray that as we walk through these next few minutes together, that you'd speak to us and guide us, and may we know of your presence, and may you have your way in every heart and life. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My grandmother, at a time like this, would say, it has come up a cloud. And she'd be so happy if she was in the midst of a bunch of people. So I hope that's how you're feeling right now as the cloud has come up this morning. But we want to look at this idea of being alert to the devil's schemes. Like I said, I've never preached this passage from this angle before. But as I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but to see several things here that if you look behind the scenes of what is taking place here, that there is indeed something that's going on here uh, where the devil is got his schemes going in this church because he would love to destroy uh, this early church as it is foundational uh, to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we're going to see here to be alert to the devil's scheme, here's the first scheme of the devil that we see in this passage of Scripture, and that's that. That's this. It's division. Division. So if you look at the very first verse, again, it says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, you see that there's some division that's working because this complaint is being made. And here's what I want you to know. It tells us here in this verse that their disciples are increasing in number. And if you back up one verse to what we saw last week, chapter 5, verse 42, you'll see that the church every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And then we come to this chapter and we see that in these days, the disciples are increasing in number. So what I want you to know is, is that when the Lord is working, when the Lord is working, you can mark it down, you can highlight it, you can know, you can count on trouble is just around the corner. When the Lord is working, the devil is going to do his best 
to cause trouble in the church. And we see the Lord indeed was working as the church is preaching and teaching Jesus, the disciples are increasing. And so when God is at work through the church, if the enemy can't get us to be quiet, then he will strive to make us useless and ineffective. So he, and what he will do is he will use problems and people to divide the church. Now, this, this idea of division, it really is a subtle trick, and, and, but it can escalate quickly. A call not made, an invitation not sent, some, something was misunderstood or a preference was not given or somebody's upset over something that really will not matter in the big scheme of things or somebody's jealous over something absurd like a slice of ham. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? But then when the murmuring begins, the enemy smiles. You see, friends, we're warned all throughout the Scripture of the danger of division, the danger of discord. In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible describes a worthless and a wicked person, as 1 in verse 14, who with perverted heart devises evil and continually sows discord. And then a few verses later, we see a list of things that the Bible tells us that the Lord hates. And in verse 19, it says, the Lord hates a false witness that breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. And so all these are from the same source, the father of lies and the enemy who loves to divide. And then we find in the New Testament, Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24 and following, that God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. So be alert, church. The enemy would love to cause great division in any church that is proclaiming Jesus today. That was true in this time of the, uh, in the New Testament here, when the early church was beginning, and it is still too, true today as well. The enemy would love to cause great division. But here's what we know about Jesus. Whereas the enemy seeks to cause division, it is Jesus who has broken down every wall of separation, amen? He has broken down all those things that would divide us. And so we have unity through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so when the enemy advances his scheme of division, then what must that church do that is a gospel-centered church that is focused on Jesus, that's proclaiming Jesus, that obeys Jesus. Well, we see what this church did in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. In verses 2 and 3, it tells us, So they've heard the complaint, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." And so here's what we see takes place. The gospel-centered church, it checks the issue and it corrects the issue. So a church that is centered on Jesus and a church that is proclaiming Jesus will seek to check and correct the issues, including correcting a problem, and it may also include correcting people. So this church found there was an issue, and they undoubtedly corrected both. Well, the problem here, we see how they corrected the problem. Apparently, the leadership had investigated the issue, saw that there was a problem they needed to address, 
And so they addressed it. Now, what was the problem? Well, as you look at that passage of Scripture, it may, may not mean much to us as we look at this, but you have to understand that the Hellenist that it talks about here who arose against the Hebrews because their widows weren't being, were being neglected, the Hellenists, understand, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and these Greek-speaking Jews in the church had originally been considered second-rate citizens among the Hebrew-speaking Jews before Jesus. But now as disciples... They were all Hellenist Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews. They were all one as, as believers in Jesus Christ because Jesus had broken down every wall of separation. But there seemed to be some of those old feelings of prejudice and jealousy, and so there was a debate of how the daily distribution was happening. The distribution could have been they were distrib how they distributed food or it could have been how they were distributing finances to the widows who were in need. And so there was complaining about the potential preferential treatment. But the gospel-centered church, they looked into that issue and they corrected the problem. And they corrected the problem by fellow believers were charged to choose servants to help them. And so they chose seven men, not just any men, but men who were full, had good reputations, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. But also notice that each of those men had Greek-sounding names as well. So it's a good thing in which they did here. So as we think about what was taking place and what happened that these Hellenists felt like they were neglected, did the apostles intentionally overlook or neglect those widows? Well, not at all. Just rather, in the growth of the church, it was simply an oversight. But the Hellenists felt like it had been an intentional slight. But the early church was a model church. Know this, the early church, as we look at this, it was a model church. It was a great church, but it was imperfect. And beloved, we can't forget that fact. The church was an imperfect church, and the church is still an imperfect church because it's made up of imperfect people who make mistakes and who overlook issues. There was a problem that needed to be corrected, and so they corrected it, but there was also people who needed to be corrected, and I have no doubt that it corrected those people as well. Now, we recognize that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, but also that we recognize that those evil principalities and our enemy will use people to cause division, and that's what the devil's scheme is here. The church corrected the problem, but also the people. Now, it's not shown in this passage but what we do see throughout Scripture in the New Testament, especially we see the command and the exhortation throughout the New Testament, how believers are to hold each other accountable, and that includes correcting. And so what do you, where are you getting this from, Pastor? Well, when you look at, in this first verse, first verse, you see that there was a complaint by the Hellenists. And the word here, complaint, also means murmuring. Murmuring. Now, murmuring is an onomatopoeia word. I mean, I just like to say that, all right? It's an onomatopoeia word. Now, you may know what an onomatopoeia word is. It's a word that sounds out their meaning. So when you say murmuring, it's a sound of what is taking place. They're murmuring, 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 murmuring. So murmuring means to speak privately in a low tone, usually expressing dissatisfaction or discontent. This murmuring was under the radar, but it was happening in the church, and it was, causing it was causing discontent. And understand this, that murmuring 
is a roadblock to unity in the church. And the devil will use it to cause division. And so that's why the Bible is clear, do not grumble or murmur. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says in verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling. That's the same word, complaining, murmuring, complaining, uh, grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he's saying, look, be careful of how you are portraying yourself and what you're doing, how you're acting, because the world is watching, right? Y'all with me this morning? Say amen. I mean, that's what we need to understand. The world is watching. And while we're imperfect people, be alert of what the devil's tra- tricks are is that he seeks to divide us. And if he could do that, the world is watching and we're to be lights shining in the world. So that, listen, there are ways to correct issues in churches without grumbling, complaining, or murmuring. But for some reason, some people believe that grumbling and murmuring is their spiritual gift. Man, I never can get over that, you know? Some people just think that this is what they, they have to do in life. But beloved, hear me now. We can be genuine and we can seek God's best in the church while explaining concern to the leadership without grumbling. And when the devil tries his schemes of division, the church that keeps Jesus central, it will check the issues, it will correct the problems, and it will correct the people all for the glory of God. Now, if you're a guest with us today, you're probably thinking, oh, great, what have I walked into here today? I assure you, we're just walking through the passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. And as far as I know, there's no murmuring going on in our hallways, and I praise the Lord for that. But we do need to be aware that we're imperfect people and the devil's always prowling about. Amen? So that's one of his schemes, division. But the gospel-centered church will correct the problems and its people. But there's another scheme I want us to look at here, and that's this. It's distraction. It's the scheme of distraction. It's a very subtle thing that we see here in this passage of Scripture. You have to look sort of behind the scenes and hear what is being said by the apostles. Look at verse 2 and verse 4. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Then verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles, no doubt, saw this problem for what it was. It needed, it was a problem that needed to be corrected, but also it was something that if they attended to it themselves, it would distract them from the task. Now, this is, now understand, this is really a very subtle trick, a very subtle scheme, uh, uh, as the enemy would love to distract the church in order to keep her from fulfilling her mission. We certainly see this today in churches. We certainly see this today in our denomination. We certainly see this in our own lives as disciples as well. Don't get me wrong. There are problems that must be addressed. But understand this. But the enemy's scheme is to keep us distracted so that it will keep us from fulfilling our mission. So what if, what if the apostles had said, Hey, we'll, we'll take care of the distribution. They, then they heard the complaint from the widows. And the, what if the apostles had said, I tell you what, we're just going to take care of this ourselves. And they took care of the distribution. Now, would that have been a bad thing? No, it wouldn't have been a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. But it really wasn't the best thing. Because it wasn't what they were supposed to be doing. 
They needed help from other godly men in the church to help so that the kingdom could continue to advance. You see, friends, listen. If the devil could have pulled the apostles away from praying and preaching the word, then their effectiveness of pointing people to Jesus certainly would have diminished. The widows would have been taken care of, but the overall mission would have suffered because they were distracted from their task. You see, friends, listen, the church today is too easily distracted with a lot of different issues. And while issues must certainly be addressed, let's keep in mind the distractions can keep us from the mission. And also, distractions can keep us from walking closely with Jesus. Some of you have been distracted by a storm and haven't heard a thing I've said in the past seven minutes. You don't have to say amen, because I know my own heart, right? That's what you're thinking about. But let me just say, it's raining. You ain't going nowhere, right? So enjoy being here. But if you think about your own life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there are distractions that keep us from following the Lord and walking closely with him. You remember the, the movie, the, the, the Disney movie, Up? There was a dog named Doug. You remember this? Man, I love that dog. He's like every dog in the world. He see a squirrel. He's a squirrel? Remember that? He get distracted so easily. And beloved, there's so many things in our lives that are squirrels to each of us that get us distracted. You know, just think about the distractions from, being, from spending time you, from G, with Jesus. You want to spend time with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you sit down and you go to your prayer time and you just happen to look at your phone. And lo and behold, you've got a notification from your social media. And you think, well, let me just look at that real quick. And so you pull your phone up and you look at the notification. And before you know it, what are you doing? Scrolling right along. Before you know it, 15 minutes has gone by and you have not spent any time with Jesus. Or maybe it's spending time in the Word of God where you have determined, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the Word. But as you head to your place where you're going to sit down, you, you look and there's something you need to do. You, there's a chore that needs to be done. There's something that needs to be picked up. So you pick up this and then you go pick up that and you go pick up this and pretty soon you picked up everything except the Bible, right? Distractions are tool, a tool of the devil to keep you from walking with Jesus. But also distractions can keep us from our mission as a church as well. You know, I hate to mention this here as I don't want to make light of it as being a distraction because it's really a major problem and issue in our convention. Our convention is meeting in California this week, and they're going to be working through some really tough issues as it has come to light how some sexual abuse had happened in some Southern Baptist churches over the past decades. And so what's going to be happening this week is the convention is going to be acting upon a couple of recommendations to create a three-year term task force to implement abuse reform and to create and put a ministry check process in place to protect the innocent from wolves in sheep's clothing. And these are absolutely necessary reforms, and they are going to be part of the process to fix some of those terrible issues. And while these are important and while they're absolutely necessary, I have no doubt that the enemy has used evil people to do evil deeds to innocent people to distract the church from its mission and its influence in the world. I have no doubt. 
But just like in our passage of Scripture, there were people who were put in place to address the issue so that the gospel could be advanced. I believe that these are some of the very same things that, could be, that are being put in place to help us to advance the gospel as well. You see, friends, even as we walk through these difficult times, here's the point. We must always, always, always keep our focus on Jesus. And the reason is, is because the world is broken and people are broken and Jesus is the answer. Amen? Amen. We cannot be distracted. So distraction is a scheme of the devil. So how must the church act? Well, it is to stay committed. The gospel center church, it stays committed to the mission. So we've already seen that this church is indeed committed to the task of declaring the gospel. We saw that they're proclaiming Jesus and house to house and in the temple in verse 42 of chapter 5. They also remember how Jesus told them then the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then in the first part of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we read these words. But you will receive power. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that early church was committed to the task. They were committed to the mission. And beloved, listen, we must be committed as well. There are opportunities all around us to minister in our church. There are opportunities to minister in our community and minister around the world as we point people to Jesus. And these opportunities must be seized without being distracted from keeping the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? Well, let me tell you, it's proclaiming Jesus, right? Him resurrected, him crucified and resurrected from the grave, that he's our hope and that he is our life. Amen? That's what we're to focus on to proclaim him. And so this church utilized all the resources and all the people who would serve together for the gospel. And they set these men apart to serve, as it tells us there in verses 5 and 6. Every disciple, every believer was important in helping to get the message of Jesus out in the world. And so it is today as well. Beloved, we meet needs, we address issues, we take care of the hurting, and we protect the innocent, and we must keep moving forward, always meeting people where they are and always pointing them to Jesus. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. So distractions a scheme of the devil. The church is to stay committed to the task. And so the gospel-centered church checks and corrects and is committed to the task be alert to the schemes of the devil, which is division, which is distraction. But here's one more scheme that the devil loves to bring on the church, and that's this, destruction. Destruction. As we look at our passage of Scripture, can you imagine what would have happened if that church, that early church there in Acts 6, if they had continued to let this problem fester? If they didn't deal with the complaints, if they didn't investigate to see what really was going on, if they didn't deal with the people, can you imagine how the delight the enemy would have had if there was so much division that the church would simply implode? I mean, that would have been great for the enemy because of the, the, the Lord is seeking to use the church to advance the kingdom and proclaim the gospel to the nations. But the enemy would have certainly loved it if he could have made the church implode. Don't you think the enemy was excited about that ham slice in the Texas church, right? You see, a scheme of the devil is to destroy the church. And if he can't destroy the church, he will seek to destroy her witness. So Peter, one of the apostles here, knew that. And he said 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the devil loves a church. Listen now. The devil loves a church that is doing nothing, that is satisfied with just maintain the, maintaining the status quo. Man, the devil loves that. But for those churches that are doing something, that are proclaiming Jesus and preaching Jesus and loving Jesus and obeying Jesus, that are pointing people to Jesus, where people are pointing people to Jesus, where their denominations pointing people to Jesus, then the devil is seeking to devour their witness. But the gospel-centered church that has Jesus as its focus, that checks and corrects the problems in our people and is committed to the task, here's what I want you to know about that church. I want you to know this about a church that continues to exalt and magnify Jesus, that continues to proclaim Jesus, that continues to love Jesus, that continues to focus on Jesus and obey Jesus. Let me tell you about that church. That church will continue. Y'all with me? That church is going to continue to be the church. You see, what the devil meant to do in this early church was he wanted to divide it, he wanted to distract it, and ultimately destroy it. But as that church kept its eyes on Jesus, look how God works. They were not divided. Rather, in verse 5, we see they were unified. That tells us what they said pleased the whole gathering. Everybody was in agreement. So they were unified with this decision of what they're doing. So what the devil wanted to do was to divide them. But what we see here is that the opposite is taking place. They are unified. We see this also. He wanted to distract them. But they were not distracted. This church was not distracted. Rather, they were laser focused. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. They weren't distracted by the, the, by the scheme of the devil. They were laser focused to the task and the mission and continued to increase the word of God. And then the devil wanted them to be destroyed. But as we look at this passage of scripture and we come to verse 7, there wasn't even a hiccup. They weren't, there weren't less disciples, but when we read verse 7, there are more disciples. Come on now. It says there, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now get that. The Jewish priests, even some of the great many of the Jewish priests, they became obedient to the faith. They came to know Christ as well. So here's what I want you to know. What the devil meant for evil, God worked for good. Because he's able, amen? Where the devil was out to destroy, Jesus was still giving life. So this gospel-centered church, beloved, the gospel-centered church, those that focus on Jesus, that church will continue. Why? Here's why. Because of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I will build my church, and what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So how can Jesus say that? It's because while the enemy may have his schemes, and while the enemy may seek to divide and distract and to devour, know this. The enemy has been defeated once and for all by Jesus Christ. The enemy does not win. The enemy is not winning. And the enemy will not win. Because Jesus is the victor. He is the king. And he is the conqueror. Amen? And know this, that while the church today is imperfect, 
Jesus, through the cross and the empty tomb, has given us the assurance that there is coming a day when divisions and distractions and destruction are gone forever. And this imperfect church will finally be perfect in his presence. What a day that will be. Amen? All right. The storm has passed, so we're almost done. There's one to do, and here it is. Frustrate the devil's schemes. Say, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? I want you to frustrate the devil's schemes. And there's three things that are part of that that will help you to do just this. If you want to frustrate the devil's schemes, love Jesus, love his word, and love his people. You want to frustrate that devil and his schemes to try to divide and distract and destroy? Then here's what you do. You love Jesus, you love his word, and you love his people. Loving Jesus, that's just resting in who he is and his salvation where he has saved you, resting in his grace, resting in his victory, walking with him, loving him. Love Jesus. Spend that time with him, right? Love his word because his word is truth and you can trust it and you can let it feed your soul. So here's what I want you to do as we think about that part of this, all right? Now, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to look at some point, not right now, but I want you at some point to look at the settings on your phone. You know what the settings are. Find the settings. And I want you to go to that place that says screen time. Okay? And I want you to look at your screen time, and I want you to see how much time you have spent on, on total on social media. So you look at how much time you've spent on social media. And I want you to, t- to determine to spend as much time in the Word of God as you do on social media. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. And I would say to you, Ask yourself why you couldn't do that, and then maybe you need to back off of some of that social media. Come on now. I mean, what's more important? Where are we getting our wisdom from? Social media or from God's Word? You want to frustrate the devil? Hey, love the Word of God. Spend some time in that. Amen? Love Jesus, love His Word, and then love His people. And this part, listen, I am so grateful that you guys are gracious and loving. And I would encourage you to continue to do that, to be gracious, to be patient, to be understanding with each other, to appreciate one another, and to encourage each other. And what I want to ask you to do today is that before you leave today, I want you to thank at least three people for what they do in serving the Lord. Thank three people. I cannot be one of those people, all right? I'm not going to be the cheat, all right? You, you're going to do somebody else. Do, do it at the three, all right? Not me and two others. You do three. Thank three people and then continue that to thank people every week for what they're doing as they serve the Lord. Amen? Love Jesus, love his word, and love his people. And beloved, if you do that, we will continually frustrate the devil's schemes as we continue to meet people where they are and point people to Jesus who was wonderful and mighty and beautiful and glorious and whose life 
and our hope and our assurance. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in each of our hearts and our lives. Guide and direct us, we pray. Lord, help us to be faithful to the call of the mission that you've given to us, the task before us, to proclaim Jesus to people all around us, to aid and assist in helping that word get out, to be a part of giving the word out. And I pray, Lord, that we would frustrate the enemy's schemes toward us as we love you, love your word, and love your people. And Lord, I pray that before we leave here today, that we'll know that we've been in your presence, that you've guided us and directed us. And so, Lord, I pray now that as we come to this invitation, if there are those who just need to come and say, Pastor, pray with me. I've got this weighing heavy on my heart today. Just pray. Or maybe there's someone today, Lord, who, who is feeling the weight of keeping you first and loving you more and loving your word more, spending more time with you and just need us to pray with them. Or maybe there's someone who needs to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. They would come and tell a pastor, I need Jesus. Or maybe there are those who just need to come and pray silently here at the steps. That, Lord, you would deal with every heart and every life. And may you be glorified and magnified because you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing together. You come